0: This program is brought to you by Bible Way Media, overseen by the elders of the Chipman Road Church of Christ in Lee Summit, Missouri. Welcome to the program. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. We're going to continue our studies in Romans chapter 13 today, and we'll finish that up with the last section of Romans 13. And again, I want to remind us that Romans 13 is divided into three sections. We've looked at the first one, the relation of the Christian with the government. We've looked at the second one, and that being the Christian's one debt to love. The third section in Romans 13 is the day that is approaching, and that's Romans 13, verses 11 to 14. So we need to ask the question, what is this day that Paul is discussing that is approaching. Well, Christians that are spiritually asleep need to wake up. And that's what Paul is saying in Romans 13, 11. In Romans 13, 11, it says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Well, the first two words there, Paul says, and that. Paul was about to make another important point about our Christian living. He said it is high time to fulfill our responsibilities to God and to one another As he says there, knowing the time. In Ephesians chapter 5, look at verses 15 and 16. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. There Paul wrote, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Whenever we look at this passage here in Ephesians, the first thing we see is there that, see then that you walk. That would be our walk of life. We need to walk in this way, and the way that he says to walk is circumspectly circumspectly is a word there that means knowing what is going on around us. We need to know what is taking place. We've been studying in the book of Proverbs recently and we have in the book of Proverbs that wisdom is crying out in the streets and wisdom is calling those who are unwise to use wisdom to practice or to know understanding so that they can know how to live in this life. So again, down in Ephesians chapter 5, we see the word circumspectly from the Greek word akribos, and Strong's defines akribos as exactly. And then you look at Thayer's definition. It is exactly, accurately, or diligently. So we need to know, we need to walk accurately. And again, he says, not as fools, but as wise. And then he says, redeeming the time. The word therefore, redeeming in verse 16 is the Greek word exorgozo, And that word means to redeem, according to Thayer, and he has another definition, by payment of a price to recover from the power of another to ransom to buy off. He says metaphorically of Christ freeing the elect from the dominion of the Mosaic law at the price of his vicarious death. But it also, his second definition means to buy up to buy up for oneself for one's use. And Strong says it means to buy up ransom or improve opportunity. You know, don't be wasting our time. We need to be buying up our time. And then he says, because the days are evil, you know, Paul wrote the book of Ephesians back around A.D. 60, 61, somewhere in there, while he was in Roman prison. The days were evil then, and the days are evil now. So we need to walk circumspectly. Again, as he said there in Romans 13, knowing that the time, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now is our salvation near when we believe you see paul previously had discussed obedience to the government he had discussed the proper love forever or i mean for others but apparently many of the roman christians are like christians today many christians today they were spiritually asleep what does spiritually asleep mean? They weren't redeeming the time. They weren't walking circumspectly. They were asleep. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul there is talking about the way that the Corinthian brethren had misused the Lord's Supper. And he said in chapter 11 verse 30 there 1 Corinthians, For this cause, and that cause would be their misuse of the Lord's Supper, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. You think about sleep, there are those that were weak and sickly, yes, but there were those that were dead spiritually because of the way they were partaking of the Lord's Supper. In Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 14 now. Ephesians 5.14, he's saying about the same thing to the church in Ephesus that he's saying to the church in Rome. It goes, wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. We need to rise from the dead if we're spiritually asleep. You know, we can be light, in the Lord, or we can be asleep in the Lord. And if we're asleep in the Lord, then we are not living according to the way that the Lord wants us to do. And really and truly, if we are asleep in the Lord, we're not in the Lord. We are separated from Him because we have died spiritually. In First Thessalonians chapter five verses six and seven, Paul there mentions this sleep again. Let us not there or let us not sleep, or therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. So don't be sleeping in your life whenever it comes to spiritual things. You know, lethargy and apathy have been a plague on Christians since the very first century. Paul gives an example there in Revelation 3, excuse me, John gives an example in Revelation 3, 15 and 16, talking there to the church in Laodicea. It says there of Jesus speaking there, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would, thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You see, whenever Jesus there is speaking to the church in Laodicea, he's saying, I would you were cold rather than lukewarm because cold cold you're not going to do as much damage to the church. If you were hot or zealous for the cause of Christ, you're going to be doing a lot of good for the church. But he goes, you're lukewarm. There's no refreshment there. And because of that, he goes, I will spew thee out of my mouth. In other words, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And you know, lukewarmness is just what we might call being stuck in a rut. We're happy with where we're at. We're not getting better, we're not getting worse, but we're not doing things. And lukewarmness is just another trick in Satan's bag of deception to draw us away from God. You know, Christians have to practice Christianity every day. You look at Matthew five fourteen and sixteen through sixteen Matthew five fourteen through sixteen He says you're the light of the world. The city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. <clears throat> Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven. Whenever people of the world look at our lives, what do they see? Do they see someone practicing their Christianity daily? Or do they see someone who claims to be a Christian, but they're not living it? In other words, they are asleep. In Luke 9.23, Jesus speaking here in Luke 9.23 He said unto them all if any man will come after me let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me. We must deny ourselves daily and follow Christ and what does it mean to take up cross? It means to die. We die daily to self, and only then can we follow Christ and do what he has commanded. In Galatians 2.20, Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, there's that taking up the cross daily and living for Christ. In Matthew 25, 34, we understand from that verse that Christians will not accidentally enter into heaven because entering into heaven requires commitment, determination, perseverance, and sacrifice. Again, Jesus gives an example of what's going to happen on the day of judgment in Matthew 25:34. It says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, those who have been faithful, Come ye blessed of my Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. See, Christians don't accidentally get to heaven. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul makes that plain as well. 1 Corinthians 15:58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the, world, in the Lord. You know, he doesn't say that we're going to be these do these things lethargically. He doesn't say, my beloved brethren, be ye lethargic. No, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. In 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8, When we read these verses, you're going to find there is no lethargy, no lukewarmness in these verses, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity, or agape love. For if these things be in you and abound, not just be in you, but abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, there's no lethargy, no lukewarmness in that passage. In Romans thirteen eleven, again, the fulfillment of our salvation grows closer to Every day we live, let's reread the verse, Romans 13, 11. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. You see, that's telling right there, there is doom for the unfaithful. Because the day of judgment is getting closer and closer and closer every day we live. But if Jesus doesn't return before we die, the day of our death is getting closer and closer and closer every day that we live. You know, we do not know when this life is going to end, and neither do we know when the Lord will return. You know, talking about our life, we don't know when it'll end. Look at James five thirteen to 15. James chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. It says, go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. We do not know when the day of our death will come. It could come before I finish this lesson, or it could come 20, 30 years from now. We don't know, but we must be prepared for that day. And neither do we know the day our Lord will return. You look at Matthew 24, 36 through 39. Jesus had just finished talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and the things that were going to happen there. But then he changes the topic because he says in Matthew twenty four thirty six of the day that he returns, but of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. You see, going back and looking at the days of Noah, God told Noah he was going to destroy the earth with water, with a flood. He told Noah how to escape the flood by building an ark. And how to build the ark and everything that he was to do to prepare the ark and to get it ready for the animals that would come to him. So, no one knew that a flood was coming, and he was a preacher of righteousness, according to Peter. So, he would have been telling people, This is what's going to happen. You need to be ready. And no one, his family, were getting ready. And everybody else in the world at that time were just living life as normal. They were marrying, what did he say? Marrying, eating, drinking, giving in marriage. And they didn't know when it was going to happen. And apparently they didn't care. Because then the flood came and took them all away. And he says, that's the way it's going to happen on the last day. Except we know from Second Peter chapter 3, the earth will be on fire then, destroyed by fire, not by water. But people will be just living their everyday lives. God's word has warned us that day is coming and how to prepare for that day. But we know it's coming and we must be prepared. If we're not prepared, we're gonna face the same destruction, eternal destruction in hell, if we're not ready for that day. Brother Robert Taylor made this comment concerning the salvation nearer than it had been. I quote, "'Their salvation was nearer "'than when initially converted to Christ.' This must mean eternal salvation for their earlier conversion had granted them initial pardon of past sins. Each day they lived, there were nearer death, Hades, judgment, and eternity. If heaven at last was to be theirs, they had to be alert in attitude and ardent in action." In other words, be ready. In Romans 13.12, Paul says, it's now time to throw away those works of darkness that cause us to sleep spiritually and put on the armor of light. Romans 13.12. It says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, let us, therefore, cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. The night is far spent. What is he saying? The Christian should have progressed beyond participating in the works of darkness. Those works of darkness, a list is given in several places. Galatians 5:19 through 21 is a place where that's found. It says, now the works of the flesh are manifest. In other words, they're made known, and here they are. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, which means jealousy, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. In other words, anything that is like anything that was just listed is a work of the flesh, a work of darkness. And then he says, continuing in verse 21, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the word, excuse me, the kingdom of God. You know, whenever you look at the words in this verse, there are a lot of things that unfortunately Christians practice today or condone today that are works of the flesh, You get down through here, and you find in verse 19, there's this word called uncleanness. That word is defined as lustful, luxurious living. Then you come to the word lasciviousness. That means indecent bodily movements, unchaste handling of males and females, among other things there. So, dancing would be a work of the flesh. And what takes place, you know, so so many parents become so stupid or foolish, if you don't like the previous word, whenever it comes to the prom, they allow their daughters to dress up as harlots, and they allow their sons and their daughters to go to dances and things such as that, which is nothing but sin, and they're condoning those things. You continue on down through there. You have idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. Variance, which means strife. Strife between brethren, and strife with others. Again, emulations is jealousies. So the word strife there means uh, factions. And then seditions means divisions. And then we know what envying and murder is, drunkenness. You know, there are those in the brotherhood who believe they will say, well, Jesus turned water into wine. Yeah, but he turned it into unalcoholic wine. Because you drink one drink, you are one drink drunk. And people just don't want to hear that. The word reveling. It comes from a Greek word that means musical possession that includes drinking and dancing. That would be social drinking, would it not? And then and such like. And then there are other lists that are given. You could look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That's homosexuality. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And we could go to several other places to find these lists of sins that we need to cast off, as it says there again in Romans 13, 12, where he says, the day is at hand. You know, the night is far spent, he said, and the day is at hand. In other words, we should be living in the light of God's word shining forth let your light so shine that others may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven in First John 1 7 you know, you know the verse but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us from all sin that is present tense there when it says cleanseth the blood of jesus continues to cleanse us as long as we are walking in the light and to accomplish that we have to cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light you know the second part of the verse says let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light there in romans 13:12 in ephesians 6:11 Ephesians 6, 11, Paul said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We need to be able to stand against him. And in order to do that, we need to put on the Christian armor. You know, whatever he says there that we may be, ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, that little word wiles there comes from the Greek word, Methodia. You see, the devil has his methods with human beings, and he uses the same methods. They may be a little bit different as far as the exact thing goes, but he uses those things as he did with Eve and Adam, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life and anything that fits within those three categories. That is what he uses. And we need to put on that whole armor. What is that armor? Look there following there in Ephesians 6:13 down through 18. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Praying for all saints, persevering in the things that are happening. The devil's not going to give up. He didn't give up on Jesus and he's not going to give up on us. But if we resist the devil, James said, he will flee, but he will come back. In Romans thirteen thirteen, we are to walk an upright walk in this life. Verse thirteen says, "Let us walk honestly, as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying." So here we have, let us walk honestly walk honestly. Our walk first of all needs to be before God. In Genesis 17.1 we have an example of that. Genesis 17.1 It says, and when Abr- Abram was ninety years old and nine the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. The word before here in the Hebrew in Genesis 17:1, this is Brown Driver Briggs definition. It says in front of, before, to the front of, in the presence of in the face of, at the face, or front of. We are walking in the presence of God. Our lives are in the presence of God. And our walk needs to be after God also. Look at Deuteronomy thirteen four. Deuteronomy 13, 4 says ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. The word after here in Deuteronomy 13.4 again Brown, Trevor Brick's definition after the following part behind hinder afterwards. So we walk in the presence of God and we walk following God. And our walk needs to be with God. In Genesis 5.24, Genesis 5.24 it says, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not for God took him. The word with here means with, near, together with. And again, Brown Driver Riggs definition, we're to be walking together with God. In Micah 6, 8, Micah 6, 8, it says, He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Now the word with there, and this is Strong's definition, The Hebrew word means with. That is in conjunction with. We're to walk in conjunction with the Word of God. And our walk, in other words, the word walk, it means our life, needs to be in the Lord. That's Colossians 2.6. Colossians 2.6 says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him the word in there is a preposition and Strongs defines the Greek word this way a primary preposition denoting fixed position in place time or state so we are to be in a fixed position in the Lord in first Thessalonians 5 verses 4 through 8, Followers of Christ belong to the day, not to the night. And there is a correlation here with what we've been reading in Romans 13. And that is 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 4 through 8. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 8 says, but ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. That day is talking about the day that Christ returns, the world is destroyed and we face him in judgment. Verse 5 of Ephesians 5, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 5 says, ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We're not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep. There's that sleep again. And he says, as do others. But let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So there's this contrast between light and darkness there in Romans 13 and several of the other passages that we've read. Going back to Romans 13, 13, it says, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in riding and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, The word honestly there, from the Greek word euskimonos or euskimonos, Thayer says that that word means this, in a seemly manner, decently. We're to walk decently before others in everything we do in this life. Now, the literal translation of the Bible puts the verse this way. Let us walk becomingly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in cohabitation and lustful acts, not in fighting and envy. Well, the word rioting there in Romans chapter 13, you heard a little thunder there possibly. It is raining outside right now rioting there is from the Greek word komos. And it is the same word that is used for revelings in Galatians 5.21. Now I want to read you the entire definition this time of what Thayer says it means. A nocturnal and riotous possession of half-drunken and frolicsome fellows who after supper Parade through the streets with torches and music in honor of Bacchus or some other deity and sing and play before the houses of male and female friends. Hence use generally of feast and drinking parties that are protracted till late at night and indulge in revelry. That's the word there for rioting in Romans thirteen thirteen. Darrell Conley made this comment concerning that, and I quote, it indicates a carousal at which drinking and dancing were almost always present. In fact, the comas was often the result of drinking. It is no accident that the oldest Mardi Gras organization in New Orleans is named Comus, after the Greek word for revel. It would be difficult to find a better example of reveling than the drinking and dancing that takes place at Mardi Gras. Unquote. And in drunkenness, there mean is from the Greek word "metha," an intoxicant. That is by implication intoxication. So just an intoxicant makes you drunk. Brother Robert Taylor made this comment, and I quote. Drunkenness derived from meth is caused by drinking. That is why people get drunk, by drinking. An astute observer once said to an acquaintance, you have a problem with drinking because you drink. Drunkenness is a process that begins with the first drink. The very first drink means one is one drink drunk. The first drink affects the brain, and that very part of the brain that affects moral choices and inhibitions. Unquote. The word chambering there, in First Corinthians thirteen thirteen, is the Greek word koite, and Thayer's third definition is this: cohabitation, whether lawful or unlawful. Brother Robert Taylor made this comment about the word, and I quote: "The word is similar to sleeping around today, a reference to loose and lax sexual lifestyles among playboys and playgirls." Wantness there in Romans 13:13 13, 13, is from the Greek word asalgeia. And it means unbridled lust, excess licentiousness, lasciviousness, wantonness, outrageousness, shamelessness, and insolence. Again, quoting Brother Robert Taylor, it refers to lewd thoughts, lascivious speech, and shameless conduct. It includes the unchaste handling of men and women and suggestive bodily actions such hints of or such hits dancing, petting, etc., full square. Yet naive parents give their permission and endorsement for teenage dancing. Unquote. The word strife there in Romans thirteen, thirteen. Thayer says it means is the Greek word eris there says it means contention, strife, and wrangling. Again, quoting Brother Taylor, "...the person filled with strife is not interested in doing good. He is interested in stirring up trouble. Strife grows out of a heart full of enmity and bitterness." And the word envying there, from the Greek word xalos, Theres one B definition an envious and contentious rivalry jealousy. You know, envy and jealousy go hand in hand. They complement each other in diabolical ways. So Paul says in Romans thirteen fourteen. Instead of making provisions for fleshly lust, grow to become more like Christ every day. Romans thirteen fourteen. But that's in contrast to what we just read. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Put ye on the Greek word enduo and Thayer says that means to sink into clothing put on, clothe oneself have you ever had a shirt or a pair of pants or maybe ladies a dress or slack, whatever that when you put them on it was just wonderful You just sunk into that piece of cloth, that shirt or whatever, and it just felt great. Well, that's what we are to do. Sink into our Lord Jesus Christ, just like putting on that wonderful piece of clothing. And how do we put on Christ? We put on Christ when we're baptized we know that but this here in Romans 13 is talking about something else because Paul is addressing Christians here he's already uh, he's addressing those who have already put on Christ in baptism Galatians 3:27 for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ to put on Christ but he's saying here live like Christ we put on Christ throughout our lives as we seek to become more and more like him. Look at Philippians chapter two, verse five, Philippians chapter two, verse five. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he's talking to Christians there also. Let this mind be in you. Grow to be like Christ more and more every day. In Colossians 3, 12 through 14, and I want to read that first from the King James Version, Colossians 3, 12 through 14, and then I want to read it from the literal translation. So let's do Colossians 3, 12 through 14 from the King James it says, put on, therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Now let's look at the literal translation. It gives a little, little better understanding of some of the words. It says, Therefore, as elect ones of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassions, and it's in the plural, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving yourselves. If anyone has a complaint against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also you should forgive. And above all these, love, which is the bond of perfectness. And he says, make no provision for the flesh, there in Romans 13, 14. The word provision from pronoia, they are, excuse me, strong, says it means forethought. That is provident, care, or supply. You see, people are anxious about the things in this world. How do do we satisfy our fleshly lust? How do we satisfy our desires? But you see, we are to avoid these and make provisions for those things that will draw us closer to God. So, it all boils down to this. If we are spiritually asleep, we better wake up. If we are doing things that we've read that are not holy things to do, that are not righteousness, that are not causing us to grow more like Christ every day, get rid of them. If we want to receive heaven as a reward, we better get busy fulfilling our responsibilities to God and to others we need we must get rid of all those old works of darkness and we must live uprightly in the light of God's word because we're getting closer to our death every day and we're getting closer to the coming of Christ every second that we live So again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to be with us today. Lord willing, next time we'll begin in Romans chapter 14. We thank you for joining us today. We hope you have enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find all of our podcasts and all major podcast platforms. As always, we thank you for listening.